Justin looks like he's ready for a knife fight. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Howdy. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Lucas Rubelke. I'll let you boy. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout-out about Angular Remote Conf. Go check it out, angularremoteconf.com. We have a special guest this week, and that is Justin Schwarzenberger. I think I said that right, or read it right. Yep, how's it going? You want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. I'm Justin Schwarzenberger. I'm lead engineer at a company called SoCreate. Uh, we're building a platform for screenwriting for film and TV, that sort of thing. And I enjoy Angular. I'm all up in the Angular space. So, yep. You guys have done a lot of uh, Angular 1, and now you're you're all in on Angular 2. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. We started Angular 1 a long time ago, and uh, early kind of alpha stages decided to buy into Angular 2 and uh, just start porting and converting and rolling with the, the changes over time. And so we've really been uh, entrenched in building a couple applications from Angular 2 Alpha on and going along with all the changes and, and adapting as, as we went. The land of bleeding cuts. It's um, kind of scary, kind of scary, but, you know, <laughs> adventurous as well. <laughs> well it's, it's a great club we're all in. So this app of yours, it takes a lot of user input, doesn't it? Correct, correct. We have a couple of different apps, and uh, we have one that's currently in our pipeline right now that does a lot of uh, customer management. Really, you think full blown, like kind of uh, customer order management, that sort of thing that we're we're doing for a client, and it's really forms all over the place, data collection. Uh, what kinds of devices will will the users be using? Will they be using a browser on in front of a, in a tablet, in a desktop, on a phone? What are you considered a, a range of it? Devices, or are you focused on more? Yeah, so for this app, we're targeting um, uh, evergreen browsers, but we are doing uh, kind of mobile-first type of design. Uh, so we're, we want to support, you know, mobile tablets, desktop, but in a browser. Yeah, that makes sense to me, particularly where there's a lot of keyboarding involved, which it sounds like in a CRM type app, but like you're describing, it's kind of CRM-ish, isn't it? Right, right, very much exactly that. And you know, that's wait, wait, a challenge. wait, wait, wait. You, you don't want to do keyboard intensive stuff on an iPhone? 
What's wrong with you? <laughs> we we yeah. want to just ask, ask Siri to input the data for us. I think that's really it. Siri, sell, she sells seashells down by the seashore. Right. I just can't get her to spell Schwarzenberger, so whatever. <laughs> that's okay. We can't either. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so you know, if, if, if it was John or me, we'd say, no problem. We're going to just write a component and we're going to throw inputs and selects and jazz on the screen and party on. But what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that um, there's a couple different approaches, right? And that's one of the challenges, I think, with forms in the Angular space right now. And probably, I guess, even going forward is there's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's not a problem, but there's kind of different ways you can go about it, right? Uh, which is probably good. Choice is good. But, you know, you run into, well, how do you direct people when you teach people about how to build forms or when you're working within a team, like how do you, what, what should you tell your team? Here, here's their approach. And, and you run into, well, you could do it right in the template, right? Use some two-way binding and controls, or you could do the, the model-driven approach and, and build your code back in the um, component class and, and wire that up through your template. You know, I think both work. Uh, it just kind of comes down to, uh, I think there's a complexity level when you, you start getting complex with your form data and, and what you need to pull off, especially when you get into the validation space, custom validation and stuff like that. And how do you tie in multiple fields to interact with one another when you say, hey, look, I, you, if I'm collecting this data, I have to also collect X, Y, and Z over here and then uh, stuff like that. So I think it's depending on different use cases sort of thing. So, so you guys then are generally using the form tag and and then going on and adding Angular two form elements on the screen and form sorry on the template and form directives and stuff. Yeah, we decided to kind of take the approach of doing the the model driven approach where we're really crafting our forms inside of our component, the, the representation of our form inside of our component class, right? Using TypeScript and and uh, building out, using the form builder class and building out controls and, and control groups and sort of things, or now form controls and form groups, to have that representation in the class for a couple reasons, right? There's the testability so that we can, you know, write unit tests and uh, against that stuff. Uh, but I think one of the more valuable aspects of that that we've kind of discovered, especially in a team environment when you have multiple people attacking these different tools and somebody comes in and has to work on this one form and another person has to work on that later, you get some things that surface, I think, with a, with a form builder where you get error messages in the console if you try and bind up your form group to your form and you have named controls in there, right? Or named groups. And you don't, you use a, the wrong name for a field. Let's say you have first name and, and in your form builder, you use that and you say, Hey, I, I've got a, a form control named first name. And then in the template, you just call it name. You'll get a, like a, a console error for that. So it surfaces some of that stuff for you. Um, so over the life cycle of an application as somebody's refactoring forms, refactoring tools, because we know that that is always going to happen, you kind of get some guard against that that helps you out and says, oh, you know, now I've got this thing that's this kind of breaking because somebody went into the template and changed something and it actually kind of broke the functionality and, and that surfaces earlier than later. So let me let me throw a different angle on this. I know like when Ward's hinted at this, what I've done a lot with forms is I just use inputs and selects and whatnot like I normally do. I still do validation. Uh, I create my own validation stuff. And in some cases, with Angular 1, what I would use is ng messages and whatnot to kind of show those things. 
but I would also write, um, what do we call it? Like have my validation be model driven as opposed to form driven. So if the data violates some problem, I want the data to tell me not just the one place it's showing on the screen because it might be in multiple places around. And I found in the past, and maybe I'm tainted on this and probably am, not even just Angular, but HTML form sometimes feels like ceremony to me. It feels like all the different attributes that you have to add and all the different elements you have to add. And then you have to do all the tying together of the labels to the elements. And, uh, when I'm done with it all and I finally get it working in concert, I feel like I've doubled or tripled the size of my HTML page just to make it all work. And in the end, I've got a good validation and form process. I mean, it works great, but it's still only validating the data on the screen as opposed to the data behind the scenes. Uh, so I felt like it solved part of the problem, not the whole problem, and I still had a lot of ceremony. Tell me why I'm wrong here, Justin. I mean, what, why have you gone this direction? I trust you. I, I respect what you've done. I've watched your – we all love your presentation at NGConf, by the way. It was awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and I don't say that lightly. It was great. But tell me why I should reconsider using forms for Angular 2. <sighs> yeah, that's a good question, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess to me the, that representation of the, the model in your code – Right. To me, feels more like I, some of the things I, I start worrying about or, or think about in terms of the, the template and, and what is that? Is that just a display of my form? Of course, that, like you mentioned, it's, it's kind of one to one, right? That, that's where your inputs are, right? So that's where they're going to live. But what if that template is not, it needs to be something different or, or needs to, you know, render in a different way? Will the model being represented in the class behind there, allow you that flexibility or allow you that possibility in an easier manner as you go forward. Maybe something like a, a mobile framework or something and you're trying to just put a, a new UI on, on top of that. Does that allow you to bring back your form logic and your data collection and stuff in the back end more and just expose that or just wire it up, you know, connecting wise in the front end differently? I guess, how do you do it in terms of when you have this representation of that data? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to doing more of just kind of like getting in the template and doing ng control and the two-way binding and stuff like that and having your, like a view model sort of thing for your, your data and then wiring it up that way and then collecting it and just knowing that your representation of this, say you have an order, right? It would be like this order model behind the scenes and you would just mm -hmm. have this input that would wire up to that with a, yeah. a two-way yeah. binding, right? And you're collecting Yeah, let's that. use a concrete example, right? Yeah. Let's use an order as an example. I mean, I'd have an order inside my component. I'd have a, almost a controller, by the way, inside my component. <laughs> I'd have some kind of a model for an order mm -hmm. and all the, all the other data. And let's say I'm editing just to make it simple. That model would then be bound to the template, and that template would use like ng model and regular one-way binding for things I read only to show it. Uh, and then when I want to save it, I just have buttons that would help save, cancel, reset, and maybe also in the model I would have a state. Like you know, for simplicity's sake, we could have the model and then the original model, right? So our current model and original model. Mm -hmm. uh, so we could do state, and we could actually write very simple code to kind of go back and forth. Which, by the way, ng forms doesn't do a lot of that for you anyway, so you still have to deal with. How do you go there? But and, I don't and, the valid, and your validation rules would be in that model too. So, for example, yes. if something was required, if the uh, or if the order name or the, or the quantity was required, or had to be positive or something like that, you would have those rules baked into the model. And then, yes. no matter and and that's part of the, that's not part of the component. That's part of the model. So, if that model is your model of the order is used in some other component, well, along comes all of that validation logic because it belongs to the order. It doesn't belong to the component, and it certainly doesn't belong to the template. That's kind of the way we we tend to roll. 
So uh, I, too, have that confusion when I confront forms because it seems like the business logic that determines what is a valid order creeps into the component or creeps into the template uh, and risks being and let me give a concrete example of that or let me give a concrete example of that let's say again order let's say order quantity order quantity is kind of important right it's required so or order item even any of those if that's a required field in some way, using that, or order date has to be greater than today, one of those rules is there. I don't want to leave it up to the UI developer to have to put in the required attribute inside the HTML element of a template. If the model already knows that that's required, even regardless of what that UI developer does and create that template there, that now the UI will be notified the way I, I write this stuff, the UI will be notified when the model has been violated. So if that model's violated and the field's not there and it's not set, no matter who's using it in any template, in any component, everybody knows and it's that's not there. So we no, no longer have the oops of, oh, I forgot the required attribute or, oh, I forgot the regular expression attribute or any of those other things. And and that's kind of why I've gone away from it. But I, I'll, I'll be very honest. I know Ward and I are against the grain on this. For example, a lot of people at my company all use forms religiously. I feel like they've gotten in my way more so than helped me to do this, which is why I just, I haven't found something I couldn't do on my own with less work, actually. So I got a question for you on that. Um, so what do you do in terms of if your model's got your validation, right? Like, how are you surfacing that back out? Are you, are you rolling that all on your own in terms of having your model having methods or whatnot that, that surface that stuff and then getting that out to the, the UI? So there's a couple of different ways. Like I know like Breeze does some of this stuff for us too. And we've used Breeze mm -hmm. to, which is a service based model for data management, which actually lets you set up validation. And then when it's violated, it'll alert you. But there's other, other uh, very crude ways of doing it. For example, setters and getters are one way of doing it with your models. Once there's certain things happen, they can fire off business rules, which then can fill up errors, objects, and then notify your UI. That's probably a very crude example, but that's one way I've done this as well. And lo and behold, even if you didn't do that, if you still needed those attributes on the UI, you'd still need to have some way to collect those messages, right? Mm -hmm. Like you still need to tell something. Whether you use forms or not, I guess is my point, is you still have to tell the code, these are my rules. They're required or they're not. These are regular expressions. This order date has to be larger than this. All that stuff has to exist. When I look at forms, uh, what I have more problem with is not that and validation. It's the, why do I have to use a submit button? What's wrong with a click on a button? to just call save, for example. Why do I have to have required attributes and regex attributes and, and so on and so forth? Why can't I just let the model drive this for me? I'm being intentionally mm -hmm. difficult because I, I want to understand it better. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. and, and you're referring to like uh, the HTML attributes at that point? Yep. Uh, yep. For like required, like the HTML5 type of things for that? Yeah. And I'm not yeah. even talking about Angular forms. I'm talking about forms in general. You just know? forms in general, yeah. Yeah. Because Angular Forms is just an implementation on top of it. Right. Yeah, I think there's a pain there at that level, too. Like you said, the, the complexity just for forms in the world of, of web development, right? Down to labels and, and things like that, you know, for binding those along with your, your input fields and laying yeah. that stuff out. It's just, it is. It's a, it seems like a lot of boilerplate work that we just repeat over and over and over and over again, you know? Well, the promise, too, of Angular 2 forms, the way I keep hearing it is, looking on the lighter side of things, is I believe what they're trying to do is make it easier to actually implement HTML forms with Angular 2. So you don't have as much of that ceremony 
so that it does some of these things for you. It's still not completely model-driven the way we're talking, but I think they're trying to make it so you can reduce the number of things you have to do to actually get a functional form. I think right. Is that how you're seeing it? Yeah, I mean that's what it that's what it feels like that they're they're trying to accomplish, right? And I think that that's part of the the thing with the whole we got template driven versus model driven, and you kind of have different ways to to take it that that you you can choose um, because they want to have a it feels like they want to have a really easy out of the box like look I just want to wire up a couple things here how how easy can I do that uh, versus okay well I've got this more complex scenario that I need to unfold. You know, do I have the, the tools within the platform to make that happen? And what's been your experience with template-driven versus model-driven? You know, because they have different options now with Angular 2. How do you feel about these? Like, which way do you they, lean? <laughs> gosh, I, I mean, I, I think they both work. I think that's part of the, the tough part about it is, like, it, it almost feels like there's no, I mean, maybe there just needs to be more discussion like we're having in the community about this is why this one works. So this is this is the scenario when this one is good for you, and this is the scenario when this one's good for you. Right now, I feel like when I talk to people about it or or, or discuss this stuff, it's kind of like, well, well, I don't know really what to recommend you to go down this way or that way. I mean, you can do it both ways, and, and you can kind of pull off what you need to pull off both ways, right? So what makes one different than the other in terms of like, like how do you make that decision in, in terms of architecting your forms? Like, do I, do I roll with this one or do I roll with that one? Yeah, so, options are great, but I think options, I think we're all tired of options in some ways too. We want to hear the benefits of what those two are and the negatives. And I'm looking at the guy who owns the documentation for Angular and saying, this is a great thing to add, Ward. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I'll just chime in too. I mean, I don't want to spend two or three days researching, you know, I, yeah, I want to see kind of the definitive, here's how you make this decision, you know, turn left, turn right, yeah. turn left. There you go. Right. Or just tell or me, this is, this is the way that you do it in Angular, period. Yeah. And if I can't do that, I should be able to tell you what the pros and cons are for a choice and what scenarios a particular strategy fits best. So, for example, if you have the rich data model, uh, sort of, uh, yeah, this sort of rich business model that John and I are talking about, then it's pretty obvious that you want to drive things out that way. But if you don't happen to have such a rich business object, then you're kind of driven to putting validation into the UI. And so that, you know, you can almost start to, if you have a decision tree, you can start saying, well, what kind of object am I going to accept input on? Is it a rich object that has internal validation or is it not? If it's not, then you're kind of uh, forced to say, well, I guess I got to put my validation logic in the component or got to put it in the template. And so you know that where forms is contributing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can say, aha, I know going into this decision tree, I don't have a rich business object. Got to go with forms. I do have a rich business object. Maybe forms don't help me so much that, you know, but I think that's what people are looking for. They don't necessarily say thou shalt use forms. They need to know when given your situation, you should know turn left or turn right. I think there's some overlap there too. One of the things like, what about validation messages? Like, where do those live? Where does the actual text live? You know, when you talk about localization and stuff like that, like, like if you have this backend model, right, like you really, the UI maybe needs to be able to switch out that actual text message that goes for your validation, right? And you may have two different forms to modify that data through two different tools, and one displays the message a certain way, but they, they both use the same validation logic, right? So then how do you cover that? It almost feels like, I guess when you step back as a whole, like, 
forms are complicated, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go into collecting data, validating data, all the stuff that needs to go. You know, is there really going to be one fit to, to bolt onto wow. the top of the entire thing? Or is it really like there's multiple problems and can, can we have composition to craft what we need to do to solve that problem? So here, here's where I, I step into that. And I think you just summed it up really well. Forms are complicated and the problem they solve is complicated. And when we try to solve complicated problems, a lot of times in our industry, let's face it, sometimes we solve it with an even more complicated solution. And I guess that's why I've, I've felt sometimes that forms didn't make it easier and made it harder. I'm not saying it's not a good choice for everything. What I'm saying is that before I step into forms or even people I advise, I try to figure out what they're actually trying to solve. Like if all they really want is to enter data, do a little bit of validation, and then press save or cancel, I don't necessarily think at that level you need all of that with forms. But if you have a lot of rich validation that you want to put in your UIs and you really need that form submit process, like you need that formal form submit cancel process that they're used to with standard HTML server-driven stuff over the years, and you want the messages to be bottled up and boxed for you in a convenient package because they, they do messaging for you, I think forms in Angular 2 can actually help you. That might be where I would lean towards looking to see where that goes. And localization side, I think, is is a very good point. Where do those messages come from? How do you bind those up? I'd like to use data binding form. But these are things you need to think about. I would, I would invite anybody who wants to solve this problem to first list out the goals they're trying to accomplish before they actually start writing code with this. And I don't think enough of us do that. Sorry, yeah, that was myself. I agree. I agree. <laughs> How do you ha handle validation today in your in your app? Let's take the order example mm -hmm. and that a quantity is required and it must be greater than zero. You know, you got let's suppose you got one of those rules. How does that uh, arrive in your forms based approach? Well, right now, and of course, we got it on, on both sides. We got it in the, the form in the, on the Angular side. We got it on the server side and the API that receives the data. It's really, okay, we, we've got this, we're using the form builder. We're building out this form representation of the, of the model, uh, of the form model in our component, and we're adding validators right within that code, right? So we're composing these validators for different scenarios. We're using out of the box ones. We're, uh, rolling our custom, our own custom validators for certain types of data. And, um, it really ends up being kind of almost a mirror of the same validation that we write on the API side, on the server side, right? And, and these validators are, are sort of built up in your, comp in your component class because you're building up an image of the, a, a sort of an object image of the class that has these validators and stuff in the component itself. Is that what you're saying? Is that where Correct. that logic lies? Correct. It's, it's essentially a form group. Right, that's being built out, and then with nested groups or or form controls within it that represents the data collection that's going to be in part of the UI. Right. So then you build up this sort of uh, this tree, this representation of the form that's all tricked out with all the validation logic, and then how does that surface on in the template? How does the template learn about it? So then in the template, you're using a, a form group on your form element uh, in order to tell it, here's my backing form group that I created, right? So if I have a order, if I call my form group order form in the component class as a property name order form, and I set that equal to a new form, a form builder dot group call, right? And that's the start of my structure. Then, then in the template on my form element, I'm putting form group and binding that to my order form property. From the so, if my, so if my order form has has ten properties, 
that are supposed to be a, that are supposed to be visible, and I've created ten controls within my component. Then I'm going to go onto the template and place those, put an element tag or something that represents each of those elements and where they should appear on the screen. Yeah, so let's say we're taking the order and we, we're going to have a first name and last name, right? And so we got input elements uh, type text, and I'm going to use the form uh, control name and set that equal to the name that I gave it in the back end, right? So if I right. called it first name camel case, then I'd be calling it uh, form control name equals first name, same with last name, that sort of thing. It's mostly the same HTML elements with an additional directive to give it the strong name that, that it's going to use, right? Okay. So in the template, you're doing the visual representation and the component. You've got an object tree that represents the form, and you're using some strong name to kind of connect the two, and, and it can give you feedback if you messed up on the names. Correct. That's the gist of it? Correct. And then and then you're using your you know order form, the, the form group, property, right, uh, throughout the template if you need to access uh, controls, additional, any of the nested controls from the tree to show validation, that sort of thing. Okay, so I'm going to tell it in the template where to put validation errors. For given, if, the fir, if the order, if we were talking about the quantity, if the quantity is in error, then in the template, I'm going to tell it where to display that uh, error validation. Yeah, and you can do, I believe it's like, uh, you know, you do an NGF, uh, order form dot controls dot quantity dot valid. So if it's not that, you know, it can display something and then you get to the errors and that sort of thing off of that. Right. Okay. So recently forms changed. Surprise. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? You mean Angular 2 forms? Yeah, you know, HTML yeah. hasn't changed, but, but, um, <laughs> You, you know, you're, you're a pioneer and this, this has happened and it happened. It's actually happened incredibly recently as we speak, as we record. I don't even think we've actually officially announced it, but it will be by the time they hear it. You just so, did. <laughs> tell us what you think about that. What, not the fact that it changed, but what do you see in the new forms and what's it like trying to get there? So. What I just explained was the new forms type stuff, right? I've already moved forward <laughs> to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, these naming things, right? It w was before, uh, you create control and control array and control group. And now they're form control, form array, form group. Uh, they make a little more sense in terms of the naming convention, uh, of what you're working with. It feels like there's a little bit less that you now need to do in terms of the, the template wire up for this model driven approach. You're not doing this ng control thing anymore. You're just giving it the form control name or form group name, that sort of thing. There are also some stuff that they've added in there for, uh, things like radio buttons. There wasn't a really good story for radio buttons in terms of like having them a, a group, right? So if you yeah. have like a, uh, order form, you have a sandwich size, small, medium, large, right? And you want to have a radio option for that. They have that built in where you're really just creating a, a single control for size now. And then it can have the native, you know, HTML element attributes and know that these are of the same one. These are for the single field sort of thing. So I think from a standpoint of the markup that you're writing, the stuff with the model driven approach with this latest iteration of the forms has actually gotten a little bit less than what, what it was before. Uh, we had a couple different attributes that we'd have to put on there to wire this thing up. And now it seems like we just kind of got one specifying the name. So 
I think yeah, that's I think a it's a lot. I agree with you. It's a lot cleaner. You don't have to have both a form control and an NG model. Uh, the names are rational. I kind of like that it's a separate module too, a separate library now, so that it can evolve independently of core. Uh, you can decide to have it or not, and um, you know it, it has a chance to be its own thing that evolves um, uh, driven by its own agenda. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, John, where you was talking about uh, in terms of making it easy, right? Like, so I think that from the documentation, it, it's looking like, or from the meeting notes, it looking like the template type stuff is going to be baked in out of the box, and then the the model driven stuff is going to be opt in, where you bring it in from that barrel, right? Angular slash forms, and so maybe that's a good thing in the sense of, hey, look, if you want to just roll with these built in kind of things, then you, you got that, right? Or you can that, opt that in. Implicitly, that implicitly solves that problem we were just talking about. Of right. What is the Angular team recommending? If they're baking something in, that kind of leans you towards a certain direction anyway. And I think, frankly, people who pick up Angular are going to use what's there by default first. That's just the tendency of most developers. Right. Right, especially when given that totally directive true. of of where to, you know, here here's where you'd go with it, right? Here, here's how you would do it. Here's, you know, sort of thing. Hey, uh, Justin, I wanted to ask a question. That is, with the changes, the recent changes, is there any changes that you you don't agree with, you don't like, didn't like? You know, initially I was a little hesitant on the whole um, NG form, the export. So what I'm talking about here is the on controls, you could do the hash template variable type of deal equals uh, NG form on like your input. You have an input uh, for first name, you could do... Hash name equals ng form, and you get a handle to that control essentially at that point. Then you could do like name dot valid right right off the bat, uh, and so that's gone away. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, how's now how's validation going to play out? How are you going to display those messages and stuff like that? But now living with it for a little bit, I think it's it, it makes sense. I mean, you just have one point of you're working with your order form control form group, right? At that point, now you're just getting to the controls within that. You're essentially now in your model tree to get to that. It, I think it makes it more verbose in the template side, but it actually makes it, I guess, less right. confusing. So, Yeah, particularly when everything was, no matter what control it was, was called ng form. Yeah. Uh, really, yep. That, yep. that confused people. <laughs> I, I really like some of the some of the recent changes have just been renaming some of the things, and I think that's been good. Like, there was control, which was a terrible name. I mean, as far as bad names go, I think the Angular team has had more than its fair share of poorly named objects. <laughs> and so that one fit in there, just the generic control. So generic, right? And they renamed that. What is it now? It's a form control? Form control, yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely a big uh, improvement. But I kind of agree with you. This whole idea, the blank equal hashtag whatever equals ng form. I read through that. I understand exactly what it does. But I also, whenever I see it, I, I find that to be a little bit backwards because usually when you say some attribute equals some value <laughs> in Angular, the value that's inside of the quotes, you know, equals double quotes and then something double quotes, that thing already has a value and you're like giving it in, right? In this case, this is like a special key and so that you can pull something out yeah. onto the left side of the equal size. So that's kind of a weird thing for me, right? Yeah, I think that ex- the whole exports thing is just kind of, I don't know. But is that, just synte- <laughs> is that just syntax though? Is that simply just like the square brackets and parentheses? You know, in the beginning it was like, eh, that's weird. What does that mean? And then after a day or two, you're like, eh, I'm okay with that. 
is this just syntax or do you think it's deeper than that? I think it's kind of, you start thinking about like, when do I want to do that? And especially when you start talking about, okay, well, Angular, the platform does some exports. Now, when I write my components, do I want to do some exports? What's the use case for that, right? Like, hey, oh, this thing's in the bag. Like, it seems like they're doing it for some reason. Should I be thinking about that when I create my components? Like, you know, and then at that point, I think it, you start getting the some worse and like, well, I, I want to encapsulate things in my components. I don't really want to give people a handle to my methods and stuff inside my components and let them go wild. I kind of want to keep them away from that. So what, when do I export and what, what's the use case for that? So if somebody wants to start diving into forms, I mean, you, you've kind of wet everybody's feet on this and where they're heading. Somebody wants to get there. They can go look at the docs, obviously, and, and those will improve even expand even with some of the new things that have come out. But what tips and tricks do you think you've learned that you could bestow upon people to say, hey, this is what I've learned so far, and this might make your life easier when you're starting to get into this? Well, for starters, I mean, if you're doing the model-driven approach, if you're using the form builder, it was easier to uh, adapt to this uh, change, right? So if you're using the form builder dot control dot array dot group methods off of that, then you really didn't um, yet less of an impact, right? In terms of the name change from control to form control, from control array to form array, that sort of thing. Um, so that that was helpful. I think there's still some things to uh, you know unfold in, in terms of things I think about in uh, like validators and async validators, right? Like what's going to be the story on that when you've got something that you need to debounce? And, and that's one of the things we ran into with, you know, as, as somebody's typing in a, in a field and you need to send back, they're, they're filling out a username and you want to hit your API and make sure that that username is not in use, right? And do you do you that? Gotta you gotta, yeah, you got to debounce that. Otherwise, you'll drive everybody mad. Right. And, and it's not like you call, um, a, you know, this field and, hey, I want to, do the, in one simple call, right? There's no framework, there's no forms API that's given to you to, to make that possible. You really have to go and research and figure out how do I chain these things together? How do, how do I pull that off, right? Sort of thing. So I think that from tip-wise, I mean, people are going to run into that, right? They're going to be like, okay, cool, I've got this documentation that gets me up and running with a pretty simple form. But the minute I start really kind of diving into this thing, where are the answers going to lie, right? And we're going to need more examples, more documentation, more samples out there that show, here's the scenario here, here's the scenario there. And it's tough because there's so many scenarios, right? But again, I guess that, you know, the heart of web applications is kind of data interaction and collection, right? So it is something that's, you know, apparent there. There's another thing that I run into a bit. I wonder to what degree you run into it, which is I, I hear from time to time about metadata driven forms. That is that, you know, uh, people want the form to have some kind of flexibility in terms of how it's constructed based on information you know about the model. You doing anything like that or do you just want to shoot yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, it, it scares me a little bit. You know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to the UI, you're kind of, you kind of want control. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I kind of want more control. Oh, or come on, man. Just, I want a magic box that just generates my app out of a database. What do I need any code that's for? That's exactly where I'm going. I'm thinking uh, <laughs> it's the future right there. It's been the future for the last 50 uh, years. I know, right? Uh, people, but people want, it's a good question because people want What was want that Microsoft technology that, that tried to, that did this model-driven architecture? What the heck was that, that thing called? That was exactly what I was thinking. Like, I, I want to take my Windows desktop app and I want to put it on the web. Can I just do that? Can I drag and drop that? Right? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> 
Well, but it's a, you know, you can see why it's tempting. And particularly, there's there's often these administrative screens, you know, it's like, oh, who gives a, right. you know, we don't really care. Just, I need to get the information in there. Would you just, you know, would you just throw it out there? Right. So I do, I do see that. And then there's, a, you know, another force driving in that is that drives people crazy is that the form information, it, it's, it doesn't require a lot of UI, but there's like a gazillion forms and next week there's a new one and the week after that there's a new one. They can't afford to have a developer sitting there and handcrafting something, be- some beautiful UI experience. That's not what's needed. What they need to do is keep up with the uh, unbelievable flow of new form requests to gather data and throw it in a database. So that's, you know, I see that. I, so I, I take it somewhat seriously. In right. respect to those. I right. just wondered whether, that, but probably in your application, you know, you're not dealing with that world changing like that. You're, you're trying to actually shape a really great experience for schemes for, for screen. Yeah. And, and, and we did a design first approach to it too. So we really built out, um, mock-ups of, of what all these forms are going to look like and the data that they're going to take in. And now we're implementing those versus having, you know, kind of, okay, we need a new feature. Let's, let's figure out that at that given time. It's like, okay, here we got a blueprint, right? We got exactly the form fields that we decided on, the structure of that. Now let's go implement that. And so maybe that's part of why that falls into place in that scenario as well. Uh, it's interesting because we did start this application as an Angular 1 application. And one of the things we did at that point with these controllers was we decided on riding with our scope. We went back and forth on, are we going to have a a data property on our scope that was going to represent the model? Or were we going to just put our data fields right on the scope and then serialize that in some way? And we ended up deciding to go, okay, well, this is going to probably be more beneficial if we just say, look, let's make it easy. You know, you put first name right on scope, last name on scope. And then we had a, a way to take that scope and, and pull out the, the properties for our data and, and send those off and, and ignore functions and stuff like that. So kind of reminded me of that when we talk about, you know, a, a model representation of the data that's not a forms model on the back end, right? Getting that to the view. We're all nodding our heads. <laughs> you can't see us, but we're there. It's a challenge. I mean, there's, you know, it's just, it's a big, big challenge, right? Forms are, and, and that's a tough thing. Everybody talks about, oh, it's, you know, we're taking in three fields. That's it. Should be pretty fast, right? Let's just whip that thing out. It's like, oh, no, there's not, you know, it's, it's not that easy, right? Data collection is not that easy. No, solving data problems is not an easy thing. And I think people, they oversimplify in a lot of ways, but they also can over-architect it too. So it's true. I really do feel like we need to just sit down and think about what are you trying to accomplish? Do you need validation? Do you need messages? If so, where's that coming from? Is it localized? Is it data bound? Uh, does that information get collected in a similar way? How are you going to display that information? Which fields need it? Where does the validation information come from? I mean, there's all these things you've got to figure out that before you pick the technology solution, whether it's forms or not, you have to figure out how you're then going to use it. And then you should go try to find some samples. This is what I would recommend. Find some samples that do this with Angular forms first to see, to get a taste for it. Because you're right. I think the simple examples we find in a lot of the docs are, yeah, well, this is how I use it, but how do I actually write a real app with it? That's the next step. Right. And I, I guess that's the chicken before the egg question right now is because, you know, you, now you're trying to find that answer, right? Who's doing this? Who's out there that's going to have these examples of, of that that I can reference, right? In, in the yeah. Angular 2 space, right? And we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Okay. Well, do we have any other questions or is it time to move along? Uh, I'm going to take that as move along. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's hey, go. I got to say before we wrap up, Justin, this was fantastic. I think you you took our criticisms of forms and in stride, and I like the way you portrayed it. And I do think it's uh, it's a good opportunity for people to learn more about what forms can do in Angular too. I appreciate it. I'm glad I had a chance to talk shop with you guys. I always love it. To be honest, Ward probably prepped me a little bit in our discussion at ng-conf all around this whole RxJS, not everything, right? Uh, right. He's very opinionated on that stuff. And so it's like, okay, cool. If I can have that discussion with him, then yeah, this, this will be no problem, right? <laughs> right. But again, it's it's every, every you know, whatever works for people, let's, let's figure out these solutions, right? It's really not this is right or that's right. Let's figure out what the best solution is for the problem. Yep. Well, I don't know if anyone prepped you about picks, but uh, that's the next segment of the show. Um, I'm going to let John go first. John, what are your picks? I'm going to cop out a little, and I'm actually going to pick Angular 2 as my tech pick. And the reason I'm going to pick that is I've really been taking a step back and looking at it and going, what am I really liking about this? What am I not liking? And i got to tell you, I really love where they're heading. There's been a lot of changes lately in the RCs, which I don't love. But the reasons they're making them, I really do agree with. And I'm very critical sometimes of change, but I like why they're making the changes they're making, and I like where it's going. And I think we're going to have a fantastic product once they release this. Really happy with where it's going. So I'm glad I'm on this ship, and it's something that I feel very good about. My non-tech pick, something I've been doing doing a lot of lately, is uh, watching TV with my oldest daughters because they're starting to you know, they're late teenage years and they're moving along with the uh, less wanting mom and dad round thing. But they've been binge watching Parks and Rec. And I hadn't seen this show before. And I've been watching that with them. And oh my gosh, that show is cracking me up. Absolutely love watching Parks and Rec. We're four seasons in. I haven't binge watched this much in a while. But uh, great show. Love it. Ron Swanson, let's go. All right, Joe, what are your picks? Okay, so I want to pick... Another TV show, since we're talking about TV shows, uh, The Goldbergs. I've been watching that. I think I might have picked that one previously, but I just I keep watching it, and it's still so dang funny. I enjoy it. Every every new episode that I watch makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. So I want to pick The Goldbergs. I also want to chime in, along with what John Papa said. I'm really excited with what where Angular 2 is headed and the product itself. And there's some funny late changes coming along. And by funny, I don't mean like we're wrong, just there's some late changes that are coming in that are making some differences in how things are going. But I like that they're bold enough to say, ah, we need to have this. This is important. Even though we're late in the game, we would prefer not to make a change like this this late. This needs to be done because it's what's right for the product. So I've been doing a ton of Angular 2 coding lately and just absolutely loving it. So I'll chime in on Red John's coattails on that one. And that'll be it for me. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? Yeah, so my first pick uh, this week is a book, Ego is the Enemy, by Ryan Holiday. Um, I may have done uh, Obstacles the Way, uh, his previous book, like many, many episodes ago. Uh, but this book was just uh, really phenomenal, uh, really based in you know a lot of you know kind of stoic, classic uh, philosophy. But I really appreciate um, you know his kind of perspective where, you know, obstacle is the way talks about how, you know, we have external conflicts to kind of, you know, forge who we are. Uh, this is the, you know, kind of facing down our internal enemy, which is, is ego. And uh, so I highly recommend that book. You know, very, very good. There's actually on the audio book, there's a really uh, awesome interview that him and Tim Ferriss do where they, you know, kind of get into it a bit. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. 
And then uh, my second pick is actually just a tweet. Um, I hope I say his name right. Uh, and it's unfortunate that word had to slip out because I think we're going to eventually have a, a showdown on Ventures in Angular about, you know, RxJS, all the things, uh, which is not something I buy into. But actually, uh, Matt uh, Padwasaki, I did a tweet uh, three days ago, and he said, you know, people are always surprised when I don't use Rx in all places. In fact, I don't use it much except when I need it. And um, you know, I thought that was pretty rad that you know, I think people tend to take like a new thing and they just want to just paint the entire world in it. And um, I think that, you know, I, I think is people kind of matured, you know, in their career, they realize like it's the right tool for the right job. And as big as a fan as I am about, you know, observables and RSJS and, you know, the pseudo-directional reactive data flow, um, I think it's it's rad that, you know, kind of the, the godfather of RSJS is saying, like, look, I only use it when I need it. So um, that would be my second pick. All right. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, lately, I've been reading some books, and I just want to pick them. Uh, the first one is called uh, How to Stay Motivated by Zig Ziglar. Uh, Zig is a motivational speaker. He talks about, what was that? He's a legend. Let's just be honest. Yes. He has books and uh, audio programs where he speaks. He covers topics like sales, uh, just life in general, good living, and uh, marriage. I'm trying to think of what else. He books on all this stuff. Uh, this one, How to Stay Motivated, is awesome. And it talks a lot about just principles that you can apply in your life to get better. I wouldn't say that I had any major breakthroughs, but just the combination of thinking about uh, several of these principles, I feel like I have a better grasp on on things, and I'm I'm just you know generally happier because you know I'm being more positive about the things that I'm dealing with. So uh, I definitely am going to pick that. Uh, the other pick that I have is the Harry Potter books by J.K. Rowling. I, I just picked them up on Audible. I'd listened to them before and I'd read them before. But for whatever reason, I just needed some time to unwind, and it's been the thing that I put in my ears when I just need to not think about stuff because it's it's just lighthearted and fun. So anyway, those are my picks. Justin, what are your picks? All right, so I got a tech pick. Um, I just committed to a uh, MacBook Pro recently purely for the fact that I love the three-finger swipe on the trackpad, uh, the experience of working uh, on a single monitor, being able to work on multiple apps, especially when you're talking about working like VS Code and and the browser and swapping back between those and the terminal, it's like the experience is just awesome. So I, I committed to that. I, I've been on a Windows machine for a while, and so that's my pick for that. Uh, you got to, and if you haven't tried it, you got to. I think you got to try that trackpad experience on a, on a laptop. It's pretty amazing for the MacBook. And then um, I have a gaming pick on the Xbox. Red Dead Redemption just became backwards compatible. So you can play that on the Xbox One. Uh, I'm pretty stoked on that. I think that's an amazing game, one of my favorites. Uh, the story is just awesome. The world's awesome. So I've been uh, revisiting that lately on my Xbox One. All right. Well, if people want to follow up with you, check out anything you're blogging or tweeting, what are the best ways to go about that? So my Twitter handle is uh, Schwarty, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Y. My blog is schwarty.com. Uh, I also have some courses that I'm uh, in the process of putting up and are done with for uh, people that are lynda.com subscribers. I have an Essential Angular 2 Essential Training course and an Angular 2 Forms course as well, and I'm working on a, a few more for that uh, going forward. Let me jump in here real quick. I think actually the reason why we had this podcast is because I actually watched Justin's Lynda course on Forms, and it was really, really, really well done. 
So if you stuck along this far to the end of this episode, definitely check that out. Justin, I'm a huge fan of your work. Make me like 12 more courses, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. I will. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 